if you don't, didn't bring a Bible, if you don't have a Bible, if you don't own a Bible, there's a few that are on the welcome table there. Um, and so grab one. Uh, feel free to jump up and do that. Um, this, is, this is like a big family. And so if you need something in the middle of this time, you need to get a Bible. Or if, uh, uh, we, we, don't, we haven't opened the communion tables uh, up and we'll, until the end. But, man, if the Lord leads you and, man, just in the middle of worship or even in the middle of the message, you're like, man, I, just, I need to take communion. Um, be free and, uh, and go take, take communion um, and just, just enjoy that time. We'll, we're going to be doing it later. In fact, I'll explain that more in just a second. But um, uh, we're, we're just grateful for that. I mean, I, I love how even this morning just seeing different people taking people's babies and, and just holding them and loving them. And I, I just, just love that. Um, but welcome. Um, and I mean that uh, to everybody, not only you guys who may be guests, but you guys who are sojourners. Welcome. It's good to see you guys. Uh, it's great to, to gather today. Um, if, uh, if you are new to Sojourn, um, there, are, uh, uh, there are different ways for you to let us know that you came. First, obviously, is your presence here. Uh, we hope that you come in here and you're able to meet a few people. Uh, and, and mainly, though, we want you to meet Jesus. We want you to experience Christ. Uh, but if you want us to know that you are here and want to find out more about us, there's a welcome card that's on uh, the, the table there that uh, they'd love for you to fill out. One of the most important parts on that is if you're not a follower of Christ, uh, there's a box in there you could say, I'd like, I'd, like to find, I'd like to find out more about being a, a Christ follower. Just check that. And one of our leaders, man, we'd love to grab coffee or grab a burger or something like that, and uh, let's just talk because it's all about Jesus. Everything we do, it's all about Jesus. It's a very, uh, it's a very eclectic church uh, that we have here, uh, people from different backgrounds, um, but uh, we, have a, we have a very strong closed hand of things that we believe that everybody needs to believe, but there's a lot that's in the open hand uh, that's here. Uh, we've got folks who are going through our uh, intro to Sojourn class that are learning more about that, uh, but it's, it's just beautiful, um, the unity that God gives uh, among us, people from all kinds of different backgrounds, education and, and uh, uh, neighborhood, even all the way across Metro Huntsville, um, different, different backgrounds, and we, we love that. Um, it's pretty simple what we do here um, when we gather. Uh, this is called Sojourn Gathered. Everything we el- else we do is called Sojourn Scattered, and we do that primarily through our, our journey groups, or we, some call them missional communities. And these are groups scattered all over our city that, that usually gather in someone's home throughout the week. Um, and it's more than just a Bible study, but it's people who are saying, what would it mean if we really considered ourselves family? What would it mean if we really invited each other into one another's lives? And had some stories about that last week. Uh, during the service, we're going to see more stories as we press forward of how people are really rethinking life and rethinking church, what that really means to open up and say, okay, it's more than just a Sunday and a Bible study and check, check, and I'm, I'm done, but to really say, wow, we, we're supposed to be missionaries, every one of us. We're supposed to be ministers, not just the dude that's preaching, but every Christian is, and uh, to see what, what happens. But when we come, we gather, we pray, we sing. Uh, there's preaching uh, and teaching from the Word of God, and it's going to be, most of the time, it's just going to be going right through the Scripture, going right through the Bible. Um, and we respond, and we respond through communion and through giving. Let me hit giving first, because there's baskets here that are going to pass. That's for the family of Sojourn. If you're a guest in here, that's not intended for you. Don't, don't feel any kind of compulsion or any pressure. Uh, just know that if you see it, it's like, okay, wow, the, it's like a family budget that those that are members of the church say we buy into this and so we support the family budget together and uh, so it's a way that but it's a way we, we worship uh, it's just as important as, as any of the other parts communion at the end 
uh, is a way, it's an invitation time. And during that time, if you want to give your life to Christ and you want to come talk to me or someone else, man, just snag me. Uh, or, or snag a leader or someone who prayed, something like that. Just grab somebody and say, man, I, I, I need to pray. I, I need somebody to pray with me or I need to take care of some issues in my life and just do that during that time. But communion is open. It's not just for Sojourn members. If you just came in here and you're a follower of Christ, it's a way by taking the bread and dipping it either in wine or in juice um, that you're able to proclaim what Christ did. But we believe it's more than just that. We don't believe it's the actual body and blood of Jesus, but we believe it's more than just symbolism too. We believe that it's powerful what God does in the middle of that time. So do that together is what we'd encourage. Uh, Maybe even with folks that you gathered in prayer with just a little while ago. But uh, let's pray, and uh, we'll dive into uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Holy Spirit, uh, thank you. I don't have to say come, because you're already here, and you're, you're already working in us. Thank you, Lord, for all the different elements of worship, God, by singing to you, by praying to you, Lord, and worship even by preaching. I'm worshiping you by proclaiming your story. They're worshiping you. Uh, in their seats, Lord, by, by receiving God and by listening and by the transformation that takes place. We worship you through giving our finances. We worship you through communion, Lord. Uh, and we worship you by sending one another out as missionaries at the end, God. So uh, just bless this entire gathering. Bless the, the kids that meet upstairs and the adults that are loving on, discipling uh, the kids that are up there. Uh, even the youngest one, uh, baby that, that having his diaper changed or... Uh, uh, just being rocked, Father, that prayers are being prayed, o- prayed over those kids. And we just declare them, Lord, um, through your love uh, for yourself, God. So bless this time. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, like I said, we're going to be uh, all over Scripture today. Uh, we're going to be in Proverbs a lot. And if you recall, in this, this series we're in in Ecclesiastes, um, it's, it's, it's uh, the the person is designated as the teacher or the preacher. Um, most, pe- most scholars over uh, these last few thousand years have believed that it was Solomon. And if you don't believe that, it's okay. But I, I believe it was. I believe that uh, Proverbs was what he wrote when he was young. Uh, excuse me, Sol- Song of Solomon was what he wrote when he was young. Proverbs was in, in his midlife. And then Ecclesiastes r- records his later life when he went through rebellion against God. And he's telling this story. Now, how, how would you like that? And the Bible's got this all over the place of the idiot things that disciples and followers of God did. How would you like to be one of those characters? Because none of them, none of them have just the most incredible story, say maybe Enoch, you know, and he's got one verse, and so in the one verse, it's like, you know, he, he loved God, and then he was no more, you know, and so it's like, that's the only one, it's kind of like, well, that was a hero, but we only get one verse anyway, and so if there had been probably two verses, we would have seen, yeah, he's an idiot too. So, because we all, we all are, we all need Jesus. The only hero of the story is Jesus, and uh, so we're grateful for that. But he's telling the story, and he's letting you in on his worldview and his challenges uh, that he had in, in life, and uh, we're, we're very grateful for that. And so, um, last week we talked about what it means to try to find your meaning out of getting things, either for yourself, getting things for others, or your accomplishments that you, that you can make for others. And so hedonism is what we talked about, about when you're just doing things for yourself, what you can accomplish, what you can get for yourself. Um, humanism is where philanthropy comes in, where you talk about what you can do for others, and, and ultimately to find out that you can't find real meaning in either one of those things. 
as well. And so now he's going to go from, from what you can get or what you can accomplish to what you can know. We're talking about knowledge and how good knowledge and wisdom is. But we're also going to talk about how knowledge can even become an idol itself and can uh, become uh, a, a, uh, something that will be a stumbling block. There's several stumbling blocks that you need to take, a note, take note of as we go through here. So Ecclesiastes 2, we're going to go through 12 through 26. And verse 12 says, So I t- turn to consider wisdom and madness and folly. And so this, again, takes us back to last week uh, where he, he talked about what we call the hedonism project and what you can accomplish. Now he's talking about what we can know. So being educator, understanding, knowledge. Now in Proverbs, Solomon talks about the importance of seeking understanding and wisdom. I'm going I'm to blast through some things from the Proverbs that talk about the importance of knowledge, the importance of, of never getting to a place where you say, I've arrived, I got it. I don't need to learn anything more, but to always be hungry to learn, uh, to learn more. Proverbs 1.7, uh, he kind of gives the platform, first of all, and says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, Proverbs 1.23 to 31, we read to you, if you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour my spirit out to you. I will make my words known to you, because I've called and you refuse to listen. Because I've called and you refuse to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded. Let me stop you for just a second. This is, a, uh, uh, this is wisdom that's speaking here. Wisdom is being personified. And wisdom is not a real creature. Uh, there are actually mystics out there that they think it. Uh, there's people who worship Sophia, which is the word for wisdom. And uh, so they, they, they think wisdom actually is a person. It's not, and, and that's not what's being told. It's just a literary tool. Uh, that's being talked about here, but it says, because you've ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you, when terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. Then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof, therefore they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. Again, this is not God talking. This is wisdom personified in a way that just says, look, there's going to come a time in which you're just a fool and you just said, I'll refuse good, good understanding and, and the time is going to come and it all falls in. Your life implodes and at that point wisdom says, I'm going to laugh at you. You're even going to call out for me, but it's too late. You've gone too far down the path. Okay? You, can you guys think of anybody? Um, a great uncle or a, or a, an ex, a granddad, somebody that this finally the, the family had to push away because they were so destructive in their foolishness. So it's like, you know what, you can't even be a part of the family anymore. And... It's just like, man, that, that's, you can just see that they're just making horrible decisions and they never change. Proverbs 2, 1 through 6 says, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. So here is where we see that knowledge and the collection of, 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 of knowledge and understanding wisdom is important. 
You're to be hungry for more information, but it's always coupled with knowing God. It's always coupled with a reverence and a fear for God, and then we're, we're going to start seeing what happens is even if you're one that desires more data consumption, but you do it without a respect for the Lord, how even that will turn into foolishness. Um, going further, verse 12 in Ecclesiastes 2. For what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw that there's more gain in wisdom than in folly, as if as there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceive that the same event happens to them all. And so Solomon makes the profound statement that, it's, that wisdom is better than folly. Really, Solomon? I mean, did it, re- did it even really need to be, be said? But actually, yes, because I, I tend to follow foolish logic all the time. And, and so do you. It's, we, we have difficulty. We, we, we forget. We, we look in the mirror and we, we think that, man, wow, you're just the best looking, smartest guy in the world. We, we, just, we forget for all the time. And so we want to dismantle foolishness at, at this point and, and uh, what, what foolishness really is. How does the Bible describe a fool? The, the book of Proverbs just the book of Proverbs, again written by Solomon, mentions the fool 66 times in 64 verses in 31 chapters. Okay, that's a lot. That's a lot of mention of what a fool is. Now I'm just I went through all of them, and I'm just going to give you a few of them uh, that talk about what a fool really is. Proverbs 10 verse 8 says, "The wise of heart will receive commands, but a babbling fool will be ruined." Okay, Proverbs 18:2. It says, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his own opinion. All right? Again, can you think of anybody like that? And, and who knows? It may be the person in the mirror again. It's like you, you don't really care about, about learning what someone else has to say. You're just, you're just always waiting. You know, you're in a conversation, and you're not really focusing. You're not really paying attention. You may be looking at that person in the eye, but all you're waiting for is that pause, that breath in which you, you can interject and show what a fool you are. You just don't, don't know it. More about how, how the, the heart of a fool comes out through their lips. Proverbs 18, 6 through 7. A fool's lips walk into a fight and his mouth invites a beating. All right? You been around that guy? A fool's mouth is his ruin and his lips are a snare to his soul. Guaranteed, if you're a fool, people know it because of the way that you talk, the things that you talk about. Proverbs 10, verse 18. He who conceals hatred has lying lips, and he who spreads slander is a fool. Now, that's important in your family, in your church, in your neighborhood, in the corporation that you're in, in the class that you're in. It's very evident when you see the person that, man, they are, they are all about cutting people down to size. Why? Because they see themselves as so small. They slander others. Proverbs 10, 21 the lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of sense. Proverbs eleven twenty nine: Whoever troubles his own household will inherit the wind, and the fool will be servant to the wise of heart. What's the real wisdom again? It's, it's of the heart. It's something that has a directive to, to God, to, to Jesus. Proverbs 17, 12 let a man meet a she-bear robbed of her cubs rather than a fool in his folly. Okay? 
You always hear about people out in the, in the woods, up in Canada, or up, up north, you know, and the people that they all of a sudden come, come up on, a, on a, a bear cub, and then the mom's behind them. And that is the worst place to be. But it's actually not the worst place to be. The worst place to be is in close proximity with a fool. Because there's more damage going to be done to them and to you if you stay around them. A she-bear. I just love, I just love that. It's, you know, we don't, not a mama, you know, a, a mom and her cubs, but a, but a she-bear. Right? Proverbs 14.7. Leave the presence of a fool, for there you do not meet words of knowledge. Proverbs 17.21. He who sires a fool gets himself sorrow, and the father of a fool has no joy. Talk to... Talk to uh, parents with adult children. And if you talk to enough of them, you're going to meet somebody that, man, their heart is so broken because their daughter or their son, is, is their, their actions are destructive to themselves and to others. And they can't, they can't do anything more. I mean, they can't make them change. They can try to model. They can pray for them. Uh, but they can't make it happen. It's just, and it's just weight weight upon them. And I, and I challenge everyone that's in here that you, your parents are still alive. And just ask yourself, it, the way that you're living life, now you could be a good moralist, you don't even have to, have to love Jesus to fall in this category, but if the way that you're living life now, does it add value to your parents? And do, are they, does, it, does it lift them or does it weigh them down? And if it's weighing them down, if you're weighing your parents down by the way you're living your life, you need you need to man up or woman up. You need to confess your sin before the Lord and say, God, change my heart. And you need to go before your parent and just say, I'm so sorry. And ask them to be a part of praying, praying for you as you press forward. Psalm 14, one's last one I want to read on foolishness. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. What's the fool say in his heart? Read it to me. There is no God. So really, that is the apex of foolishness, is a person that denies a God at all. Not even talking about the God of the Bible, but the one that says there is no God at all. So what are, the, what are two common denominators of foolishness? First of all, not believing God or believing in God is first. Secondly, being unteachable. Being unteachable and desiring to tell what you think rather than to listen to others. And so, again, that last one, though, being unteachable, just desiring to say what you think, you could have, you could have a multitude of degrees. You can have tons of education and yet qualify as a fool right there. Verse 15. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will also happen to me? Why then have I been so wise, so very wise? And I said in my heart, this is also vanity. For the wise, for of the wise as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. So death happens. Tornadoes happen. Gossip happens. Brokenness happens. It happens to all of us. There's, there's limitations of knowledge. Let me give you some disadvantages of of knowledge when it's, when it's used wrongly. Disadvantage number one, it doesn't give the ultimate answers. In fact, it, it really brings more questions. The more knowledge you have. I mean, it doesn't matter what field that you're in, the more that you know, um, the more you see that you, you don't know. I mean, honestly, after being a, I mean, I've been in ministry um, for 20 years. 
but I've been a pastor for about 11 years, and the more, the more I learn, the more I see, good grief, God, there's so much more to you. There's so much more to, to living for you. Uh, preaching, after preaching for years and years, I, I'm, like, I'm like, I think I'm almost to the starting blocks. You know, The more you know, the more you realize there's more to be known. But uh, as I mentioned last week, it's, it's what wisdom and knowledge does, though, is it just reveals more of the brokenness that's all around you, and it's painful. Um, it's, like, it's like when you see the, the horrible images on the, on the TV of, of uh, starving refugees in sub-Saharan Africa, or maybe you hear about the travesties of the sex trade or human trafficking. That knowledge is weighty, and it's like sometimes you turn, you turn from it and say, I I can't handle it. I don't, I don't really want to know the truth. And you bury your head into the sand just saying it's too painful. I'd rather not know. There's a responsibility that comes with knowledge. It's, it's difficult. What do I do? I have, to, I have to act now. Disadvantage number two is pride. Now, last week again, talked about being remembered by your achievements. Now we can talk about maybe... I, I'm seeking to be remembered by my education or to have a name for myself because of my wisdom or to be remembered by how well I can critique others. In this day of the information age, I mean, there's some people that that's all their name is, is, is a, it's all about how they criticize other people. They're a watchdog about a certain person or an organization, a church, whatever it may be, and that's what they're known for. Titus 3, 9 through 11 talks about a knowledge that doesn't have love or wisdom says this, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they're unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up divisions, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he's self-condemned. That's, that's talking about people in the church. It's not talking about rejection of, of people that are unbelievers. It's talking about, look, if somebody is stirring up these kind of dissensions because they're so high and mighty, they're so full of themselves and how great they think they are, you need to come to a point in which you, you warn them and you sit down and you talk with them and you say, look, I don't have it all together, but you're, you're causing destruction all around you and we, we will not put up with that. We love you too much. We love our body. We love our neighborhood. We love our, our Bible study. We love whoever it is too much to allow you just to go ahead and enable you to dis, dis, self-destruct or destroy others. And finally, if they refuse to get away from self-destruction, you just say, that's enough. We must cut ourselves off. And, and it's, it's hard because it seems people will turn around and say, you're, a, you're judging that person. But rather, the thing is, is that you're not loving that person if you don't try to stop them, if you don't try to stop them from, from uh, creating more destruction around them. Just because you're educated does not mean you're wise. Knowledge can come to a pl- get you to a place that it's, it becomes a bully pulpit. Listen, and, and this is important for us in Sojourn Church because there's, we are such an educated town. and We have to, we have to look at the idol of, of knowledge and understanding straight in the eye and just say, God, thank you for the gift of knowledge and understanding, but, but it's a horrible idol. Do you ever look down on people because they don't have the level of education that you do? Or the right kind of degree? Or they haven't read the same books that you read or have read? 
It's easy to believe that you're, it's easy to take that position and criticize everyone that's around you. Here's the question, listen, are you a critical person? Now, do you, do you know that there, to this day, still, they still have never built a statue for a critic? Never. Now, the flip side of this, though, is not to dislike someone because they have more education than you. That's vital. Hum- humility is always the key. You don't turn it around and you say, well, I don't like that person because they're so educated. You're playing the same game, just on the opposite side of the coin. Humility. Why do we try to make ourselves higher than others? It's because we think we must do something that makes us more acceptable to God, or something that will make us more acceptable to others, or more acceptable even to ourselves. That's the reason why we try to think so high of ourselves. Because you really don't think that highly of yourself if you have pride. You're trying to do something else to prop you up before you fall. It's a works-based worldview. It's the opposite of grace. What, what do you need to confess today to God about what you don't believe about the gospel? The reason why maybe you are critical. The reason why that you point fingers at others. Disadvantage number three. Um, of, of knowledge used wrongly. Trusting in data consumption rather than loving God and loving people. Especially the part of loving His people. Listen to me. Being a part of a church planting uh, movement and church planting network, there's a lot of young theologians. And we got them in Sojourn. We got them in a lot of different Acts 29 churches. And just, I mean, there's just this whole thing of emerging theologians and young, young leaders all around that, that, that read tons and tons of books and spend a, a lot of times reading about what it means to love people, yet do not put the time in to love people. How strange is that? Now, who is that today? Is that you? To where, man, you're, you're in the theory like crazy, man. You can tell people exactly how to live, but yet you're not living it out. If that's you, man, confess it to God. Confess it to the Lord. And confess it to some others in your life and then repent. And then spend time in practice more than the theory. I don't care if you know five different ways to disciple people. I want to see you discipling people. I don't care if you can, if you can distinguish between all the ways that community is supposed to be lived. I want to see you actually living your life out with people. I don't care if you can, if you can tell the differences between the covenants in the Old Testament from the, the New Testament if you don't really love Jesus. Let's get into the practice. So now, the teacher brings us back to a concept we dealt with earlier, that you'll be forgotten. And if, if you're looking to bring peace to yourself by your achievements outside of Christ, it's going to have no lasting impact. Verse 17, then he gets honest. He says, so I hated life. All right? So he already had all the stuff and he did all these things and public projects and, and tons of philanthropy and then now in the whole the understanding and wisdom and knowledge and he's like, it, none of it works, none of it brings meaning. I hated life because what is done under the sun was grievous to me for all his vanity and striving after the wind. It was an honest assessment. He said, I, I don't like that I cannot do whatever I want. And we must all stumble over this truth. We must all stumble over the last bit of rope 
that we're holding on to that says, this is where I find meaning if it's any place outside of Jesus Christ. It's, it's a gift. That kind of frustration and that, that pain that's there is a gift because God doesn't want you to stay there. It's a stumbling block. It's not until we're released from the myth of being a self-savior that we can see Christ as a complete Savior. Verse 18. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool, yet he will be master of all which I've toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. Another stumbling block is you can't take it with you. That whatever you do, whatever you accomplish, man, when you're done, you're done. And it just hand it over to whoever follows you. So what does it mean to, to think through how to leave things for those that are around, around us. First of all, one of the most difficult things, one of the things that causes a lot of, a lot of pain in, in families, and, and there's, there's forgiveness and there's, there's restoration that God can do, but honestly, one of the things that, that causes a, a lot of these problems, a big catalyst, is divorce. In the pursuit, many times, uh, it's especially a, a divorce that takes place because the primary breadwinner normally... Normally the husband spends so much time in, try to, in the accumulation of things and, and trying to build up his name that he loses those that he's supposed to be living life with anyway. Loses his wife. Loses his children. You know, it happens all the time. A blind devotion to accumulation or to fame. And you, even, even if divorce doesn't happen, many times when the breadwinner is so focused on on taking care of the family, then there's abandonment or abdication that takes place in the family. Even if it doesn't break apart, it's broken. It's broken. So ask yourself, what, what do you want to leave behind when, when your time's over? And no one's too young to be processing through this. Like, okay, because every step you take, every year that you go is another block by which you're saying, okay, what, what's going to be left behind? And I just challenge you, what, what, if, what if what you wanted to leave behind was passion for Jesus Christ? What if it was that first and foremost? What if, what if you said, okay, I want to leave a name behind. Not my name, but I want my family name to be known as one that meant it's, it's all about Jesus Christ. What if, what if you said, alright, one of the most important things I want to leave behind is faithful, fruitful children and grandchildren. I mean, some of you are not, you're not even married, or maybe you're married, no kids. And, but, but think about it and dream about it to say, to say, God, help me, because that is the most important thing and, and the most real thing that you're going to leave is children and grandchildren some, someday. And, and so what would it mean to finish well? What would it mean, I mean, just in practical terms, Proverbs talks about, talks about being in debt. Uh, Proverbs talks about being able to leave land or being able to leave a home or houses to children and you know, it doesn't have to look exactly like that, but, but what if you looked and said, okay, when I leave, I don't want it to be a burden on my kids or grandkids, but rather to see them be able to press forward and see the gospel press forward through it. Um, some, some of you, and I just throw this out as a real practical thing, this, is, this may just be Western 
thought. Uh, it may just be because we have this available to us. Um, but I'm going to throw it out there. This is at least for me, if not from the Lord, is I highly encourage if you heads of the household that you've got life insurance. I've seen way too many families that when, when uh, maybe dad or husband, when they die, uh, they didn't have things in order, and it just devastated the family. It just, the, the mom had to, had to go out and work two jobs, and it's just so, it just so difficult. So process that of what it would mean to make sure that your family is, is protected. Verse 22. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils under the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Now, I want to go back to what's called the cultural mandate, which was before the fall. Genesis 1, 28. It says, and God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so the culture mandate that God has given to mankind is, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and then, but, but look, subdue the earth, have dominion over it, lead, lead, you're not an animal. You know, you're, you're, supposed, to, you're supposed to have control, and you're supposed to manage the world well, and, and, and to process what that means for God to, to have done this. But Genesis 2.15 talks even a, a little bit more about what God told Adam. It said the Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work and to keep it. Some people have said, man, work and toil, that's something as a result of, of the fall. It's like, no, it wasn't. It was God's plan all along that there's a joy in being able to work. But... When the fall happened, when, when Adam and Eve rejected God, work and toil took a whole, it took, took a U-turn. It, it, it went into a horrible direction, a very difficult direction, because God said, creation itself is going to work against you in trying to do the cultural mandate. You're going to see that it's very difficult. We are to work hard. In America, uh, here, we've got an ability. I mean, many people here, you've got an ability to have a five-day work week. Some of you guys do in four days. Some people even do three twelves, stuff like that. But most people, if you're working a job, you're in a career, it's 40-plus hours. Many times it's 50, 60 hours. If you're getting above that, man, I, I, hope, I hope that it's only for a short season to make sure that you're not, you're not overdoing it. But we've got the a potential to have a rhythm to where... You have a, you, you're working 40 plus hours to make sure your family's taken care of, but then maybe it's a Saturday in which then don't stop working. Make sure that you're, then you say, How, what can I do with this time to work for my family, to make sure that I'm working on my family, working on my home, working on my land, whatever it is that God has given to you. But, but Sundays, um, because we're not, uh, we're not Sabbath, Sabbath uh, people, uh, we're not Seventh-day Adventists, um, we believe Sunday is a day in which everybody gathers, all the Christians gather. And um, Sunday, I, I saw Ray Ortland say um, not too long ago, he said, uh, uh, Sunday is not a second Saturday. It's like it's a time in which if you un- understand what the Sabbath is, it's not just rest, but it's, it's rest, resting together in Jesus. And so to come together, and just as they've been doing for millennia, the people of God gathering, and just saying, what can we do to love God together? What can we do to serve God together? And, and, but to press through to where it really is a rest. We see that as we work, uh, again, the earth does not cooperate. Um, the world is broken, but it's not always going to be that way. Romans 8, 19-25 tells us a little bit about the brokenness of this world, but what's going to happen next. 
For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself would be free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. That's just saying, I mean, the earth, it's not Mother Earth. It's not really, don't, it's not a personification, or it is a personification. The earth is not a real person, but as if the world itself is just looking forward to the day in which, man, we've been broken for these thousands of years, and we can't wait, can't wait till the day when everything's put back together. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. 23, not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruit of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? For if we hope for what we do not see, we seek, we wait for it with patience. And so, broken world that we're in. We get frustrated in our jobs. We get frustrated in maintaining what we own. In the flat tire that you had. When the water heater goes out. When the grass doesn't grow. When the grass grows too much. With the leak in the house. When the house won't sell. When the business won't grow. When you get the pink slip. When you fail your team. When you can't stay on your nutrition plan. It all points to the brokenness of the world and our need of a Savior because we obviously cannot fill that role. Further, it makes us long for the day when Jesus comes back and He fixes everything. Everything. Do you long for that day? Do you? Do you pray for that day? We're told in in Revelation, we're to pray for Jesus to come back. But, If you long for that day and you pray for that day, what if two months from now Jesus was coming back? What about your friends? What about your family that are not believers? As much as as we hate the brokenness of this this world, let that be something that spurs you into your love for your neighbor and for your friends. Again, you, you can't make them love Jesus, but man, point to Jesus. If you if you long for it and you pray for it, how is that going to steer you further into the mission of God and His love for those that are not believers? Last little section. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. There's nothing better for a person than he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he's given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to the one who pleases God. This is also vanity and a striving after the wind. Verse 26, first, the chasing after the wind. The gathering and collecting instead of living for the glory and pleasure of God. That's just saying, look, for those who Jesus is not the center of their life, all they can do is try to gather. All they can do is try to make a name for themselves. But they will be left empty every time. Every time. But if we look at 23, the second part, this is a part of it. The gathering and collecting, the stuff and the knowledge that even in the night, his heart does not rest. There's a restlessness and, and there's a sleeplessness. And I don't know if, if you've seen the, the, the classic illusion, uh, the picture, the painting. 
you know, of, uh, of a guy coming downstairs that, that just ended up connecting back upon themselves. And so it's just this eternal, infinite loop that the person's on over and over and over. And that's what gathering and collecting, whether it's stuff or data or knowledge, if it's done outside of Jesus Christ, it's an infinite loop. If you're, if you're not a Christian in here, you get off that staircase. Jump to Jesus today. You know, come to Jesus. But you guys, we're, we're brothers and sisters and Christians in here, we don't have any business being on that staircase either. Get off the staircase. Come to Jesus where there's only true peace and meaning that's found in Him and in trusting God and His story making in the middle of the broken staircase that we're all on. God, uh, I just pray that you, you help us, Lord, 